Amen. Let's talk to the Lord as we just go before the throne of grace. We need Jesus tonight, and we're just asking him to come. Ever need to supply. Sweet peace inside. This is one of the most important things. Peace. Like one day I spoke it over back at youth camp of a young boy. Peace. That peace came and demons fled. A young man delivered. Stood there the other day in the living room of Brother Ron Spencer. He spoke peace. And the fear left him. Anxiety because of peace. Tonight he's the peace giver. He's the need supplier. We're just asking that he would bring that peace for you tonight and speak peace over this service, every person here. Father, we're your children. We come in your name. We come because we love you and we appreciate you. We come, Lord, in your name because you told us to gather. And then you said, my peace I give to you is a peace that the world cannot give. And I pray, Lord, for peace for every heart, for every life, for every person that is here tonight in this service. That you'll minister to every soul, to every life. I ask God that you'll strengthen us now as we look into the word. Bless it to our hearts. Reveal yourself to us. For we love you and we thank you, Father. As we come to the communion table, I pray, Lord, that you would bless us as we worship you together. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. I think tonight we're just going to look into the scripture. And uh, thank you very much. We're going to look over in Matthew, the 26th chapter. And we're going to start with the sixth verse. I was going to speak to you tonight, but we're just going to do a communion service. I've got some, some things I'm going to just speak about. As uh, we have jammed a lot of things in today, the time change uh, made you very tired and weary this morning. And uh, many sleeping virgins here. <laughs> and I couldn't wake them. So then, the, then we have the food, and that puts them to sleep too. And then we have the business meeting, and that puts you to sleep too. So while you're sleeping, I'm going to read some scripture. Amen. So verse 6, now when Jesus was in Bethany, in the house of Simon the leper, there came unto him a woman having an alabaster box of very precious ointment, and poured it on his head as he sat at meat. But when his disciples saw it, they had indignation, saying, To what purpose is this waste? Can you imagine wasting something on Jesus? For this ointment might have been sold for much and given to the poor. When Jesus understood it, he said unto them, Why trouble you the woman? For she hath wrought a good work upon me. For you have the poor always with you, but me you have not always. For in that she hath poured this ointment on my body, she did it for my burial. Verily I say unto you, wheresoever this gospel shall be preached in the whole world, there shall also this, that this woman hath done this, be told 
for a memorial of her. Then one of the twelve called Judas Iscariot went to the chief priest and said unto them, What will you give me and I will deliver him to you? And they coveted with him for thirty pieces of silver. And from that time he sought opportunity to betray him. Now the first day of the feast of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying unto him, Where wilt thou that we prepare for thee to eat the Passover? And he said, Go into the city to such a man, and say unto him, The master saith, My time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at thy house with my disciples. And the disciples did as Jesus had appointed them, and they made ready the Passover. God bless you. I'm going to let you be seated. We're also going to turn to John 11, and we'll read from the 31st verse. As we pick up this Passover story again, and it says, now before, I got the wrong chapter down, but anyway, it's the 31st verse, you can find it uh, in the book of John. Now before the the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world and to the Father, Having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them to the end. And supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. And Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he come from God and went to God, he rises from supper and laid aside his garment and took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poureth water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to begin to wipe them with a towel wherewith he was girded. Then he cometh to Simon Peter, and Peter said unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? And Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. Peter said unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Simon Peter said unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus saith to him, He that washeth needeth not to save wash his feet, but is clean ever wet, and you are clean, but not all. For he knew who should betray him, therefore said he, You're not all clean. So after he had washed their feet and had taken his garments and was sat down he said again he said unto them know ye what I have done to you you call me master and lord and you say well for so I am if I then your lord and master have washed your feet you ought ought to wash one another's feet for I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you verily verily I say to you the, the servant is not greater than his lord neither is he that is sent greater than he that sent him. If you know these things, happy are you if you do them. I speak not all of you. Uh, I know who I have chosen, but that scripture might be fulfilled. He that eateth bread with me hath lifted his heel against me. Now I tell you before it come, that when it come to pass, you may believe that I am he. Amen. Wonderful words of life tonight. As we just look at this, we are using two examples of foot washing in the Bible. One of it where a woman comes and washes Jesus' feet. 
And he said that it would be told as a memorial for her. We don't even know, perhaps in this passage here, it doesn't give us the, the name of the scripture or the, or the woman. It speaks of a Mary in another scripture. But nevertheless, um, the memorial that we speak of her is, is something that we can look back and remember as a Christian duty. First, when we talk about foot washing, most of the time our mind goes to washing one another's feet. But something that is more of vital importance than washing one another's feet is to wash his feet. And that is to make him welcome, to invite him into our presence, to come into his presence with singing and with praise to his name and worship. And given worship to the Almighty. Brother Branham would preach a number of sermons on this. Jesus with dirty feet. Or the meanest man in Santa Maria. Where he preached it in Santa Maria, California. and Another place. Uh, the meanest man I know. And, and he would talk about um, Simon having invited the Lord to come. And yet he comes, you know, for political reason, perhaps just to make fun of him, maybe to just to fulfill an obligation of inviting him. And of course, church service should never be just something that we do out of obligation, but it should be something that we do out of dedication. And, and of course, when, and when Jesus comes, he somehow or another gets past the uh, the, the foot wash flunky, uh, as Brother Branham would she, so dramatize it so well and start back over where Jesus was ministering to the sick. And here comes a courier that comes and, and gives him a message from this important Pharisee. You know, he has a message. And his message is to invite Jesus to come. And Brother Branham preaches from this, Jesus keeps all his appointments. And Jesus would agree to come to this feast knowing that he would be misused. Knowing that he would be uh, left sitting with dirty feet and unwelcome. Knowing that it was for all the wrong motives that he was been invited. But he would still come anyway. And that's the way that Jesus does. He will keep all his appointments. He will come anyway. Uh, you know, sometimes people will give him part of their lives. Jesus will take it. Some will give, you know, 50%. He'll take it. Whatever you want to give, he'll take it. But uh, again, you know, well, what he really wants, he wants all of our heart. He wants all our lives, not just, just for us to give him part. That's why I like it, you know, with our music that we, we sing with all our hearts. We play with all our hearts. We, we worship with everything that's within us. Because he's worthy to pour out the ointment upon. He's worthy to give praise to. And so when we come and together, we, we come and we pray and we want to pray with all our hearts. We want to come sincerely with all our hearts. We want to come worship with all our hearts. We, we want to put everything that we got into every service and make that service count. 
It's so important to do that. You know where that you, 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 you put it where that you're pulling on the gift of God. And you're saying, Lord, I need you. I, I, I'm not like Laodicea that says I've got enough of God. And that all I've got to do now is just kind of go through the routine of, uh, of, of making an invitation and, and inviting you and whatever. But I, I want to do more than that. I, I want to make you so welcome when you come. So the duty of the church is that we make Jesus welcome. As he comes to Simon, the Pharisees, the Pharisee didn't make him welcome. Somehow, you know, the, the, the foot was flunky. He, he missed his opportunity. Just like the man did that had the opportunity to invite him to come to the feast. What an opportunity that would have been for him to not just deliver an important message from a Pharisee, but say, Jesus, I've got a need in my life, and I want forgiveness of my sin. I'd say, what an opportunity this man wasted. And I'd say, when we come to the house of God, we must make sure we don't miss any opportunity. Amen. That we, when we get in his presence, because he's going to come where two or more gather together in my name, I'll be there. And I'll keep my appointment. But don't just let him come and show up in church and you, you d deliver a message of, oh, you know, I went through my religious duty, but know that we, when we get a chance, we can pull on his coattail. Amen. We can pull upon him and say, Jesus, but I have a need. Don't let me leave this service the way that I came in. And that ought to be the cry of every heart and every person. God, change me in that presence. You keep your appointment. You're going to come. But let this be the moment that I'm changed forever. That my sins, which are many, can be washed away. And I think again of the man who was the foot washed flunky at the door. You know, every person coming in would have their feet washed. And they would be anointed with some ointments to smell good. They would be given a change of clothes where everybody was, was dressed the same. You know, it's like the wedding supper that Jesus gives a parable of that each one is given a garment. The rich, the old, the poor, the beggar, the blind, the whoever is all given the same garment. And you, you can tell no difference among them as far as what their social standing is. And of course, that garment is the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And God dresses us all the same. The rich, the poor, the, the, the well thought of, the low thought of is all same thought of because they're all dressed in the garment of the Holy Ghost and everybody feels welcome. So you see, in, those, in, this, in this feast that Simon had prepared, you know, he, he had invited Jesus, but now he didn't make sure that he was made welcome. And there again, this is the, the goal of the church. Every service, not just one, not just on Wednesday night, or not just on a Sunday, or not just when your favorite preacher is preaching. But every service, you make him welcome. Amen. That you there, take there, and you break out the, the, the alabaster box. And you let the smell of that 
of your prayers and, and your worship raise up into heaven. You see, it's a memorial we can talk about today of a woman who gave everything. Who gave her last bit of money when she walked by and she saw Jesus with dirty feet. Jesus unwelcome. Jesus unwanted. Jesus an outcast in, in the church society. And sitting over there with dirty feet. And she went and did said, I've got to do something about it. Amen. And that's the way we ought to be about coming here. We got to do something about it. Some people, they invite Jesus for social prestige. Some of them, oh, it's cool to be a Christian to say, oh, I'm a Christian. I'm a church member. That kind of puts a check mark in a, you know, by their name. But brother, when we look over at him, we got to realize they're letting him sit with dirty feet. And we want him to be welcome. We want him not just invited to the meeting, but once he gets here, we don't want him left unentertained. So we want to sing about him. We want to sing to him. Come on. It's not just singing about him, but it's singing to him. Amen. Inviting him and worshiping him and giving him praise and, and washing the shame off of him. And oh my, this little woman, as she broke her box, she began to get a little frantic. And she began to cry and, and, and wash his feet with tears. And I'll tell you what, don't ever, don't ever be afraid to get a little frantic. Come on, it's time to somebody be a Jesus fiend. Amen. Amen. You got bald fiends. Let, let's be a real Jesus fiend. Amen. That when he comes, we make him feel welcome. Amen. Amen. That we wash his feet with our tears and wipe the dirt off him and the smut that the world wants to put on him and make him our king. Amen. Make him feel so welcome in our services. Amen. Now, Jesus... He sat right there and watched the, let this woman wash his feet. He never made a move. He accepted her offering. Amen. He, he, allowed, he allowed his offering, the, the offering that she made to be accepted. And it's important that we allow our offering today be accepted before God as we pour it out upon him. And that he accepts us and we accept him. He would say, as some of them looked and said, what a waste. What a waste is this? You know, sometimes we, we hear things that come back to us. What a waste. What a waste to, to build a church. Why you could just, you know, you, you don't have to have a building like you got. But why, why do we want to put up something? That is just something that is shabby and worthless when we're doing it in his name. And then when it comes to our young people, what, what a waste. I say, what an investment. Amen. To realize, you know, this is what we want. We want our young people saved. And yet we're not trying to keep them in church by some activities building or whatever else. That's not at all what we're reasoning. The way we keep them in church, I've done said, is by an altar. Amen. By providing an altar, whether it's here, whether it's youth camp, whether it's family camp, wherever it is, that we provide an altar where they can meet God and come in his presence. 
But now, this woman, she said this, they said of her, this ointment might have been sold for much and given to the poor. But you know, the really the real motive wasn't ever for the poor. But it was because Judas was a thief. So you want to check your motive always. You know why? What about your attitude something? Remember, your attitude toward Christ is going to have a huge impact on your children. And they see that attitude in service. They see that attitude in church attendance. Amen. They see that attitude in your daily devotion. They see that attitude. Listen, there are more sermons being preached at home than what's being preached in church. Amen. Every day you're preaching sermons to your kids. And you are to show before them what a godly marriage is like. And if you're a young person here or you're a person that you wasn't raised in a godly home, then it ought to be everything within you, Lord. Let me do what I can to provide that godly home and that godly environment for my children. Now, they have made ready the Passover. At the feast of the Passover, we read about Jesus knew that his hour was come. And he knew that it was the hour that he would be betrayed. And yet he desired, and it was expressed with great desire. I have desired this feast. Here he would have his last feast with his disciples before he left. You know, I I think it's remarkable how close the message of Brother Branham's would parallel this ministry of Jesus Christ. That it would end on, it would actually start coming down to the end as he would almost give his own memorial service on the wings of a snow white dove. And say of how his friends had betrayed him and, 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 and so on and yet, God sends his love on the wings of a dove and he would move in there about into the the Emmaus walk and the resurrection and then he would come to things that are to be which is John chapter 14 and my father's house are many mansions. And then he he would close it down and come to the last service and it wouldn't be a service out on the on the field but just a little gathering of Believers there in, in Tucson Tabernacles, just, just, just followers of his message that would gather together. And there they would, he would serve communion and preach the, the last sermon, communion. And it would be, be here, then he would leave from there and depart from this earth. He it would so parallel the ministry of Jesus Christ. And here Jesus now comes to this point in his own ministry, and it's his last supper. And it is here that he does something that, you know, nobody else would do. If if there's a king, you know, he's going to be served. 
if, he, if he, you would think he would, if he's God, he's going to be the one who is served. But here Jesus comes and he puts off his whole uh, his whole cloak as God and, and comes as a man and he becomes the foot wash funky. And he begins to wash the feet of his disciples. This is going to be his last act with his disciples. And, and, he, and, and he is here portraying something. He wants his disciples to get a message because, you know, to them, everybody wants to be the greatest. You know, want to sit on your right hand and want to sit on your left. And, and when you come into your kingdom, we, we want to be the big boys in the kingdom. Give us the place. And Jesus now, he puts aside his garment and he, and he gets a pan of water. You can imagine the astonishments that's going on as the disciples are watching. What in the world is he doing? And he girds himself with the towel and he begins washing feet. Because he came to serve. And he wanted to leave a reminder to you of why you are here. You are not here to be served. You are here to serve. That's why you're here on the earth. You're not here, and even, even me as a preacher, I'm not here to be made the big, the big, big me and little you. I'm here to serve. Every man is called to serve. Every preacher must have a servant's heart. But every church member must have a servant's heart. What can I do? You see, there's a lot of questions that comes at this point in time. You deal with a lot of situations. When Jesus would appear to Pilate, Pilate would ask the question, what shall I do with this Jesus called Christ? And that question comes around to every individual. Now you can say, well, the Pharisees did this with him. The Sadducees would do this with him. Pilate and the, and the Romans, they did this with him. But really when it comes down to it, the question comes to you as an individual, what are you going to do with him? A lot of people can find trouble and, and situation in their church and maybe they, they felt like they, they were offended and maybe the pastor did this or maybe he didn't do this or maybe there's been some neglect or maybe you thought you should have got a little better treatment or you should have got a, a recognition when you didn't get it or, or, or something along that line and a lot of people get hurt and offended and, and they carry this offense around them. But I always want you to come back to a question. You know, what did Jesus do? You know, the pastor let you down. People let you down. Your mom let you down. Your dad let you down. This and did this to you. And that one did. But what did Jesus do? He gave it all for you. Now, what are you going to do with him? Because he's on your hands. 
and you got to decide. In every service we come to, you got to decide what you're going to do with him. You can try to wash your hands up and say, well, his blood ain't on my hands, bless God, and walk out of the service. But if you don't receive that blood into your heart, the blood's still on your hands. And there's too many times that people will come in the house of God and leave with blood on their hands. Because they didn't take and put him in their heart. Jesus takes his 12 disciples and he begins to wash their feet. Pours water into a basin. Begins to wipe them with a the towel. You see, you, you can hear Peter saying, oh, you'll never wash my feet. No, 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 you're, you, you know, you're not washing mine. And he said, well, I tell you what, Peter, if I don't wash your feet, you don't have a part in w- with me. Well, then Peter changes his tune right quick. Well, you know, Peter wants to be all the way. So he said, well, then don't, don't, just, wash, don't just wash my feet, wash my hands and my head, and just wash all of me. And Jesus said, no. He said, all we need to do is wash your feet. You see, in that day, They didn't have bathtubs and showers in our homes, in their homes like we have today. A few years back, you know, bathrooms was an an afterthought. And so, you know, a a bathtub would be a a tub maybe in the house. And they'd draw the water and so on that they would bring a, a pan and start with 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 one and go down to the last one and everybody was in the washing in the same water. Yeah. I saw your look. And so, you know, I but they but it wasn't even that way in in the, the land of Israel. They had what they called bathhouses. And so it would be there that they would wash in a, in a public bathhouse and would wash themselves and, and get, get their body clean. But, you know, when they walked from the bathhouse, they were walking right down the roads and, well, donkeys and cows and goats and sheep and everything else on the way to the market was on that road and it was mixed. It was a mis- mixed basket of goods that you had on that road and you're walking real close to try to avoid the fresh but you're getting the dust of all the powdered all over your feet you see they had come they're already ceremonial clean but their feet were dirty I want to remind you when you were saved, God cleans you up. Amen. You got, you got your washing. You got your cleansing. But we come to church to get our feet washed. Because we had to trod from the bathhouse through the world to here. And as we walked, we got our feet dirty. 
You this week, you have been in business meetings and men said that. You've been here where women said that. You've been in this situation and that. And there was all kinds of things on the internet or wherever, even if it's just in the news, the godless advertisements and so on. You, you, get, you get dirty. It's a dirty world out there. Amen. But you see, what we need one another for is to wash the dirt off of one another's feet. You see, we're not going to save you. We're just going to wash the old smut of the world off. And when you come to the house of God, you're coming here for a foot washing. To get the streak of the world off. To get all cleaned up again and get ready to serve. And to realize, you know, I'm here to, to help lift somebody else's load and to encourage somebody else along the way. In other words, to wash the dirt off their feet. Because we're a dirty bunch after walking in the world. Oh, yeah, we've ceremonial clean. We've been repented and we're baptized in the name of Jesus. We need to get the world and the smell of it off of us. And we need one another to do that. This becomes one of the ordinances in the church. Foot washing twofold. Wash his feet. And secondly, wash one another's feet. This great Passover time, let me explain it and we'll go into 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We'll read it from verse 23. This great time of Passover, it was a feast. And so it was a yearly feast where that they would come and they would provide a lamb and the unleavened bread and, you know, all of that. And they would have the, the wine and so on. And they would eat the Passover feast together. And they were, it was in commemoration and look at this bread, and they would think of it as the bread of haste. We were leaving Egypt. We didn't have time to put leaven in it, and it, get, and it rise. It's the bread of haste. But more than that, leaven is a type of sin, and we, we had to purge ourselves from sin because we got to eat. This, this covenant requires eating a Passover meal. The lamb would be a lamb that was selected. It could not be halt or blind or crippled. It had to be a worthy lamb. Because you don't ever offer to God something in your place that's despicable, crippled, despised, blind. You offer the best. And so when you come to the Passover, they would take a lamb and he was kept up so many days and examined. Until, until it made sure there was no blemish in him. In fact, the matter is, for most of them in the early days would, would take a lamb and they would, they would select that lamb from, almost from birth for that purpose of the Passover. Many families would take that lamb into their home and they would love it like a, a, a dear pet. And it would be raised there for, for Passover. And come Passover time, when it come to killing that lamb, it was like, 
killing a part of the family. You see, there was a lot of love that was intertwined in this lamb. There's a lot of care had went into it. A lot of attention. Something that makes you understand our lamb is one that you got to be in love with. It's not just some, something you pick out of a marketplace somewhere and say, oh, that one looks good enough. But know that you, this lamb is a special lamb. And you love the lamb. And you're going to offer this lamb in your place. And this is the first thing about real Passover. Where the blood is going to be applied to you. The first thing you've got to do is go get in love with Jesus. And that's why I tell people. Whatever you do, go get in love with him. You get worried sometimes about, well, I got to do this, and I got to quit that, and I got to do, I got to stop doing this, and I got, can't wear that no more, and I can't listen to that no more. I tell you what, forget about all these I can, I, I won't, I've done, I, 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 I must do all this stuff. Forget it all. Forget it all. And go do one thing. Go fall in love with Jesus. When you get in love with Jesus, then all the world and the things of the world gets all of the value of that music and that dress and that makeup and that look and looking like the world and being accepted all out there all just fades away because you're in love with him. And you want him more than anything in your life. And he becomes the valued object of your life. Well, I'll tell you what, Brother Tim, I'll not miss another service. I'll tell you, I'll pay my tithes. I'll tell you what, I'll come and I'll forget all all of your I can, I will, what I can do. Just go do one thing, fall in love with Jesus. And get so in love with Jesus until the world and the things of it just go dim. And all you see left is Jesus. So they loved the Lamb. They would take that lamb and then they would sacrifice that lamb. That lamb had to be prepared. The skin would have to be taken off as we've been preaching. The book would have to be unsealed. The, the lamb would have to be unsealed. It would expose the inward parts. Again, their instructions was to roast him with the pertinence thereof. So therefore, the whole lamb would be roasted. They would take it and put a skewer right down the center of the back and there out of the front of the legs there and put him on the form of a cross, put him there upon the fire and the fire would heat that meat and get it roasted. It could not be boiled, neither could it be sodden in water, but it must be roasted with fire. And it's really important that every time we come to service, we get the fire hot. Amen. Now, not a wildfire, but a controlled fire. Amen. Heating up. Amen. We want the Word to get really nice and hot so that we can eat of the Word and receive of that Word because we can't eat it raw because it is something that must be taken inside. Remember, here's the whole purpose, the type of the Passover the covenant is coming inside of you. You're going to leave Egypt on the strength of the lamb 
and the unleavened bread. You're going to swallow it down with the wine of the Holy Ghost. So all of these are types. We, you know, cold old dead service ain't going to do it much good. You're not going to get the lamb real hot that way. But we want to get in here and with our prayers and our offerings to God, get the lamb nice and warm and roasted. Come on. Amen. So that we can serve that lamb. But now they would offer that lamb. They would have it for the Passover meal. They would eat of the unleavened bread, the bread of haste. And then it would come that after the Passover, the disciples would get together on the first day of the week. And they would break unleavened bread. And they, would, they were having a meal together. Well, you know the rich, they brought of their abundance. The poor brought of their lack. And they weren't putting the meals together like we did today, where it's just all put out there and everybody can get some of Sister Karen's good food, and some of you can get the newlyweds' good, good, good food. <laughs> but it's all put together. And everybody eats the same. Well, it wasn't so there. I mean, some of them were getting shamed. They were getting embarrassed. It'd be like, you know, you, you showing up to class for lunch and you had to bring your own meal and you just got bread and water and all everybody else is eating high, great delicate things. Maybe you got a little popcorn down. Well, this was a condition of the first church. I would like you to read it in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three. Now in this I declare unto you, I praise you not. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three, That you come together not for the better, but for the worse. I'm sorry, that's verse 17. And, and, and for, first of all, when you come together in the church, I hear there are divisions among you. And I partly believe it. Now, let me say something right there. This is a good point to say something. Because a lot of times, you know, when you hear the preacher preach, well, he heard that. Paul said, I heard it. And it didn't please me. And so I'm going to tell you what didn't please me about what I heard. Hello, somebody. Don't hang up on me. We're about to have communion. Don't get angry. You want to come with a pure heart. He said, first of all, when you come together in the church, I hear their division among you. I hear about these divisions. Somebody's told me about what's going on. And I believe some of it. You know, because really you can't believe everything. And some things... I don't want to believe. But I'm going to just tell you something while we're here. Don't put it past God to be the supernatural one who tells. Because there's many a time the gospel is rejected because we think brother so-and-so told him that. 
and brother so-and-so ain't said a word. But the Holy Spirit is still the discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. But it really doesn't matter who told. Is it the truth? And if it's the truth, line up to it. Rather than keep making excuses. For there must be heresies among you. That, that, and here's the reason. And here's the reason there's heresies in the church. That they which are proved may be made manifest among you. So the, you hear a lot of times this false doctrine and that false doctrine and this situation, that situation. We try not to talk about those things. Actually, in this pulpit, we just try to preach the word. I would rather just tell you what the genuine is than to point out the counterfeits. Because one thing, it would waste my time because there's too many counterfeits. So let's just preach the truth. But nevertheless, the reason heresy comes is that they which are approved might be made manifest among you. So it's to show who's the approved. Because those that aren't meeting God's approval is going to be pulled away by seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. What's now? Then he says, when you come together, therefore, into one place. Now, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper, for in eating, everyone taketh before other his own supper, and one is hungry, and another is drunken. And what, have you not houses to eat and drink in, or despise ye the church of God, and shame them that have not? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I praise you not. So well, here's what they were doing. They were bringing well, you know, the rich was bringing of their delicacy. The poor was bringing their popcorn. And, and they were shaming those that had nothing. And he says, I don't want you to do that like that. So what we're going to do is we're going to quit having supper every time we come together. And what we're going to do is we're just going to reduce it to a communion service. So he gets an answer from God. He says, I received of the Lord that which I've delivered unto you. And then he begins to tell that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, take heed, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. And the same manner also he took the cup. And when he had supped, saying, this cup is the new covenant, new testament in my blood. This do ye as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself. And so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. He that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. And for this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many are asleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we're chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. 
Wherefore, my brethren, when you come together, tarry one for another. And if any man hunger, let him eat at home, that you come not together unto condemnation. So you can see where Paul would remove this from a Passover meal to just the bread and the wine. And of course, that does not mean that we cannot come together and enjoy a a meal together as we have today. It does not mean that as a body of believers that we dare not eat food when we come together and assemble together. It does not mean that. It's simply, Paul simply was saying, we're changing this. Where we're not having a meal every time we come together on the Sabbath day. Because they would take communion not once a month. They would take the Lord's Supper every, every Sunday. Or that they would come and, and they would break bread and the wine. We, of course, Brother Branham would do it once a month. We have followed that pattern for many years. And now we do it as I feel directed of the Lord to do it throughout the years. Staging at different times. But nevertheless, this is what we come together for. We come together to take the bread. To remember, it's broken bread. Somebody asked me the question the other day. said, I was in a, an Episcopalian service. And they, it was for a, um, a funeral. And they wanted everybody to take communion. So we didn't go. Did we do wrong? And I said, how could we take, how could we take the, the round God, the round moon God wafer that, that would represent the sun God and take that and, and, and take communion with that? I said, we can't do it. We take the broken unleavened bread. This bread that we will be presenting to the Lord tonight, my wife would bake it this morning. I would wash my hands, dedicate myself to the Lord and pray over the bread, and I would tear it each part. Of course, to try to put it back together would be almost impossible, but actually every piece fits with another. And that body, that that represents the body of the Lord because even though not a bone of his was broken, yet he divided himself into a multi-membered body. And each one of us has got our own little unique edges, but we fit together in the body of Jesus Christ and together we make one loaf. We will take the wine, which is... For the, uh, for the purpose of, of um, the, representing the blood of Jesus Christ. This wine is a kosher wine. It is made specifically for the communion. For the Jewish Passover. And this wine that, that you will take, it represents the fruit of the vine. The fruit of the vine comes from where that the fruit is taken to a wine press and there it is it is pressed out and if and if, if as they trot it down and press it out all the juices are squeezed out of the pulp and there the juice is collected and then 
then um, the, the, the right kind of germs will ferment with the sugars of the, of the wine. And maybe the added sugars, if they add some. Most wine recipes do bring some, some extra sugars that are put in there because the yeast will feed upon that wine and it will start bubbling and fermenting. And there it will work until a time where it becomes from, passed from grape juice into wine. And this, of course, is represented where Jesus was the fruit of the vine. And his life would be squeezed out. And there it would be collected. And there that precious Holy Spirit now would become uh, represented in the wine. That as we take the wine, we're thinking of a drink of the Spirit. Part of his body and a drink of his Spirit. This is very important. It's not important just in taking the sacrament. But it's important that you fulfill the meaning of it. And the meaning of it is that you, when you leave from here, you go out realizing I'm part of the body of Christ. What I do and how I behave out there reflects on the rest of the body. And that I fit them, not the world that I'm going in. And the wine represents I'm drinking of his Holy Spirit. You see, this covenant is not something exterior. It's not just something you show by the clothes you wear or by the length of your hair or whatever, but, you're, but it is shown by the inward taking of the lamb, the inward taking of the bread, the inward taking of the wine. And that's where we're here tonight. We're here to reflect. And then that's we identify ourselves with Christ in the taking of the communion. We go out and wash one another's feet. Not just for the ritual of washing one person's foot or feet and saying, God bless you, brother. But to remember, we're here to serve. And as we come down to the table of the Lord, I'm going to just give you just a little bit of instructions as we come. And I want you to realize what we're doing. We have two places that are set up for foot washing. We have foot washing basins that are right out here in the hallway, and that is for the men. And over on the other side, we have it for the ladies. And so... There, that when you take the communion, we're going to ask the deacons to come, and uh, we will, we will um, have, have them to come assist me in, in the communion service, and then there will be an usher that will come row by row. You will leave from here and exit right out from the communion table, right out these doors, and if you're a man, you go that way. If you're a lady, you go to, over to my left. And you stay on your sides there and we be reverent. If you have young children, we encourage fathers to take a youngster with them to make it, make it easier on the mothers. And um, so you can kind of divide that up as necessary. But as we come to the communion service, let's remember what this is about. We're here to serve.
foot washing. We're here to partake of his body. We're here to drink in. We're here to receive. And as we come, let's come saying, Lord, wash all my sins under the blood. Because if we judge ourselves, we'll not be condemned with the world. Amen. The deacons will come and assist me right now. We will not be asking the musicians to come at this time. We're going to allow them. But if you are a musician, we'll ask if you can kind of make your way through the line. You and your wife or husband, whatever family, make your line up to the line so that we can get back for the after service. Let's bow our heads together now. Our Father, as we bow before you tonight, we want to thank you, Lord, for this sacrament that we have. Lord, for the bread, for the wine. Lord, that is provided, as Paul told us to do. We're here not eating a meal in this portion. We're here just partaking our little part. Lord, we ask that you would bless the sacrament now as we receive it in the name of Jesus. Realize your body was broken for us and that we're a part of that body and as each one of us take our part, may we reflect on who you are and what we are part of. I would ask, Lord, that you would also bless the wine that as we take of the fruit of the vine that we will remember we are to be filled with the Holy Spirit. May every person Come expecting and asking for refreshing from the presence of the Lord for their lives. It's in the name of Jesus. I pray that every person who comes through here today will dedicate themselves to be a more consecrated Christian than what they ever had before. In Jesus' name, amen.